0: we are all experiencing as part of this war in ukraine this war between ukraine russia and nato bombardment of narratives about the war and in my previous video my previous episode i talked about how to stay sane amongst all those competing narratives. True freedom of mind, peace of mind is found by paying attention to the truths of the alternative histories and stories about the war out there. There's truth in all the different stories. There's also falsehood. So in this episode, I'm going to outline six narratives, six short histories uh, of the Ukraine war. And my aim is to show that there are many ways of telling the story of this conflict. And each illuminates some truths while hiding other truths in the shadows and silences of its story. And only by paying attention to all these different stories can we find our way back to dialogue and diplomacy. So in this episode, I'm going to talk about six common histories that are uh, embedded in the narrative and the news stories and the coverage of the Russia-Ukraine war. Some of those stories are pro-Ukraine, some of those stories are pro-Russia. And when I say they're histories... I mean, they're like uh, the pictures for a movie, the sort of um, basic plot line of the stories that people are telling when they're recounting the histories of the Ukraine war. Now, some uh, scholars and writers have gone to the trouble of elaborating these basic ideas into you know, extensive studies of the history of this war or the history of Ukraine, the history of Russia. But all I'm really trying to convey in this uh, uh, episode or video is um, the gist of the different ideas that uh, are talked about so that you as a viewer as an ordinary citizen trying to make sense of this war can find your way uh, through the bombardment of narratives about the war. Uh, If you haven't uh, listened to this podcast or watched this YouTube channel before, uh, my name is Jeff Rich and this is the Burning Archive YouTube channel. I'm a historian, writer and a retired government official. And I'm trying to tell stories about the multipolar world and also how uh, the history, the past... Uh, it still makes itself felt in today's world. The past is not dead. The past is not even past. So six different stories about uh, six common histories or stories about the Russia-Ukraine-NATO war. Uh, that's what I'm going to do today and look uh, what the basic idea of the story is who some of the best proponents of that story are but also what some of its truths and some of its shadows are. its shadow side are where, where it perhaps goes astray and the aim is not to say one or other of these stories is right but just to bring to everyone's attention that there are many different ways of seeing this conflict and we should all do our best to understand all of these perspectives and I'm going to do a second video uh, which will be out in a couple of days which is looking at six more versions of this story six less common versions including uh, three um, um, uh, eccentric individual historical interpretations that I've devised myself and previously discussed on the podcast. Okay, so the six histories, the six stories, the six pictures about the Russia Ukraine Russian war are uh, number one, Ukraine's struggle for national independence. Um the story that is told when people say Slava, Ukrainia or, or I stand with Ukraine. Number two is the Ukraine civil war. Uh, Russia had a terrible civil war between uh, 1917, 1918 and 1922 in which millions of people died and Perhaps there's characteristics uh, of that war that can also be seen in this current war. The third storyline is um, democracy versus autocracy. This is the next, the last, the latest episode in the ongoing Marvel series from the United States. Uh, Retelling the story of America's victorious fight for democracy in World War II against the autocrats of the world in which Volodymyr Zelensky is the freedom fighter. The fourth story uh, and I'm putting all of these stories in uh, not super serious terms. The fourth story is Cold War II. And the fifth uh, version of the story is the anti-Russia war. The anti-Russia war based in Ukraine uh, that some people unkindly call State 404. And then finally, uh, the Russian Empire strikes so I'm going to cover each of those six stories now. Ukraine's struggle for national independence. Slava, Ukraina. Uh, this is a phrase, glory to Ukraine, that uh, is commonly uh, closes the speeches of Volodymyr Zelensky. And I must say, I, I instinctively shudder just a little bit whenever I hear a political leader say glory to their nation but I will put that aside and try to present this basic argument. So the idea is essentially that Ukraine is in a way the one of the heartland Slavic nations uh, and it has always been its own nation, but it's been heavily repressed first by the Russian Empire, uh, then by the Soviet Union and then by post 1991 um, uh, Russia, uh, the Russian Federation. And that it is by joining the EU, joining NATO, that Ukraine can come into its true national identity cleansed of Russian influences uh, and speak as a true Ukrainian nation and state. This is the core story of many of the nationalist political leaders in Ukraine today. It's the core story that lies behind, uh, I guess, the I Stand With Ukraine movement. And it is perhaps finds its best proponent uh, in the historian Sir Hay Ploky, whose book here. You can see, I hope, uh, whose book, um, who's written a number of books that set out, I guess, the broad history of uh, Ukraine's struggle to find true nationhood and how that threatens uh, the Russian Empire, the Russian elites and so forth. Uh, in the book I just showed you there Lost Kingdom uh, is the one that I have he's also written a book called The Gates of Europe and he's a very active uh, advocate of this uh, sort of argument um, but it's also fundamentally the argument that you will hear largely or the the story, the narrative that you hear largely um, in the uh Uh, the western media which is that Ukraine is you know the the David who's fighting the Goliath who's bullied it uh, next door this story that uh, Ukraine is the David fighting the bully Goliath is Um, you see played out in more or less sophisticated forms in, uh, you you know, real historians' commentary. It's kind of the story Dominic Sandbrook and Tom Holland told in the Rest is History podcast episodes on Ukraine, where they celebrated the always heroic... A uh, 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 story of Ukrainian a nationhood Perhaps overlooking some of its darker past Which perhaps one day I'll do uh, another episode of the podcast on uh, But it's also the story that comes through in He. Sohi- uh, Loki's books. Now I haven't read The Gates of Europe's his History of Ukraine, but Lost Kingdom is, if you like, the uh, other side of the ledger. It's the story of the growth of uh, you, you know the, the struggle for Ukrainian national independence, national culture and national identity uh, against the domination of both Polish and Russian elites. And uh it really sort of begins all the way back in uh you know uh medieval kiev rather simplifying things and uh, saying that this is the the birth of uh the true east slavic identity of ukraine and ukrainian Galicia especially and um, that the Russians, uh, first through Muscovy, also through the Mongols, and also uh, later through the Russian Empire, expropriated this uh, Ukrainian culture to themselves, but with a guilty conscience. And that Poland and Russia sort of divided up the true nation of Ukraine, deprived it of its yearning for freedom for the Cossacks. and. Uh, the sort of, you know, Ukrainian church and uh, um, you know, suppressed the growing nationalism of Ukraine through the 19th century the movement amongst its intellectuals to develop uh, yeah, a Ukrainian language, a Uk- Ukrainian literature, a Ukrainian history and then, in uh, in the wake of the uh, collapse of the Russian uh, imperial state in 1917, and the the, the sort of Versailles Conference of 1918-1919, uh, um, the um, Attempts by these Ukrainian nationalists to set up a free Ukrainian state were uh, betrayed by Western powers and um, uh, the very complicated politics of Ukraine amidst the Russian Civil War in which I think there were very in a year there were five different claimants on the state of Ukraine Um, Uh, Sort of set things back and then um, there were 80 years of um, uh, sort of repressive tolerance of Ukrainian identity through uh, the Soviet Union uh, which ultimately broke and cracked and the role of Ukrainian leaders in destroying the Soviet Union is celebrated as uh, the natural expression of national Ukrainian identity more European than those suspect Eurasian Russians and uh, then ultimately over the 30 years uh, since the breakup of the Soviet Union the Ukrainian state, keeps moving closer to the west and closer to realising its true national identity so that's that's the kind of historical story of of uh, this and in a way you know the uh it, it 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 justifies I guess some of the aggression of the nationalist politicians in Ukraine towards the Russian affiliated citizens uh, sadly. Now there are certainly some truths to this story. Uh, There's a very (laughs) complex little brother big brother relationship if you like. Uh, I don't mean that to be patronizing in any way but you know Ukraine is a smaller state a smaller country a smaller population uh, a smaller culture uh, you know in terms of its world impact than uh, Russia uh, a very complex little brother big brother relationship uh, in, uh, in Ukraine and you know there have certainly been parts of Ukraine that have actively pursued this you know uh, this strong separate sense of national identity. But I guess the shadows in this story is that it really doesn't um, recognize uh, the multiple uh, ethnic cultural identities of Ukraine. It doesn't really recognize the strong Russian presence this this settlement by russians of nova and the donbass sort of area this the long relationship between crimea and russia the role the, the many centuries of war between ukrainians and the Tatars of the crime of crimea um and uh also, perhaps the rather dark history of Ukrainians' relationship to its once large Jewish population. So, uh, yeah, I think the, um, uh, or even though it is very much the dominant narrative, I think this uh, this version of the story uh, needs to be balanced out with some. Other understandings, and one in particular that does pick up that uh, complex set of multiple identities and and multiple cultural affiliations and uh, the the um, very fragmentary nature of the history of political institutions in Ukraine or, you know effective democratic political institutions in Ukraine uh, is uh, the version of the story that really says this is uh, the outgrowth of a Ukrainian civil war that uh, a civil war uh, an internal political Uh, social conflict cultural conflict within the boundaries of Ukraine has polarised become militarised and uh, spilled out to draw in uh, for both tactical advantage and uh, purposes of alliance other powers including America obviously the EU and Russia so the second major story is uh, to see this war as the, uh, uh, the, the internationalized phase of the Ukrainian civil war. Uh, so this version of the story emphasizes, well, I mean, there really has been a civil war in Ukraine, uh, like an actual kinetic civil war in Ukraine since 2014 with fighting in the Donbass separatist republics all that sort of thing and uh, it uh, at a deeper level also uh, talks about how for uh, 150 years um, uh, in this argument Uh, There have been different ideas of what the Ukrainian nation could be. And they reflect both the different uh, historical, geographical, social, um, cultural, ethnic uh, makeup of this very diverse and very large country. In essence, the area to the east... Uh, of Ukraine including the area around Donbass, is predominantly Russian predominantly uh, Orthodox the area to the west is more influenced by the uh, kind of quasi-Catholic Uniate Church um, Polish influences and um, and more Ukrainian speaking and the uh, the nature of those differences is quite clear on maps and on voting intentions for example around referendums and that sort of thing. Just at this map for example which I take from uh, Restless Empire, a historical atlas of Russian history It shows the uh, composition, I guess, of Ukrainian versus Russian speakers in uh, Ukraine. Uh, Ukrainian versus Russian speakers in Ukraine. Largely Russian to the east and even around Kiev. And largely Ukrainian in the sort of uh, central and uh, western parts. And to some degree, the most extreme uh, nationalist, um, anti-Russian, pro-Western views tend to come from the sort of Galicia region, uh, around about Lvov, uh, being much more integrated with Poland and Austria-Hungary and um, I guess that That part of the world rather than Russia over centuries. And it's from that area that Stefan Bandera and others sort of emerged. Even in uh, Samuel Huntington's uh, famous 1990s book, uh, The Clash of Civilizations. He identifies Ukraine as a kind of a fault, what he describes as a fault line state or a cleft nation, which is at uh, on the the edges, on the borderlands between one civilizational zone, which he described as the Orthodox Russian world, uh, and another, which he described as you know Western Europe. Uh, and um, he he had a whole little section in that book where he talked about the prospects for uh, endemic civil conflict within Ukraine potentially then bursting out and becoming uh, uh, the basis for new conflict between uh, Russia and uh, the United States of America and perhaps the best proponent of the view of this history of the Ukraine conflict as a kind of civil war is uh, Nikolai Petro whose book The Tragedy of Ukraine what classical Greek tragedy can teach us about conflict resolution uh, really discusses this entire um, uh, process if if you can't get access or or can't meet the rather hefty price of Nikolai Petro's book there. He, he's done a couple of interviews including a tremendous interview with uh, Glenn Deason and Alexander McCurus, that I think is available on both Glenn Deason's YouTube channel and uh, the Duran's YouTube channel where he talks about Uh, the nature of these conflicts and he very much talks about the tragedy of the failure I guess of the political elites within Ukraine to come to a civil accommodation between the various um, different national identities and find some form of I guess federated republic where people of different views and different Uh, cultural affiliations could actually work together. Ultimately things have become more polarized and have led to this terrible struggle which um, has seen, you know, many people die over the last eight years and especially over the last, uh, the last year. And this version of the story um, has really some important truths that this is uh, the conflict in Ukraine has its engine and its origins and it starts not just in great power conflict. Uh, or geopolitical strategies in Washington but in the internal conflicts and divisions within Ukraine itself its own internal capacity for governance and resolution of difference within them Uh, and that there are real differences within Ukraine that it is perhaps a democracy but as yet not a terribly successful Tolerant, uh, federated democracy, and uh, but the story also has some shadows. Uh, it doesn't really account for the involvement of the great powers uh, of the United States, the EU, Britain, um, and Russia. In this conflict and it perhaps overstates the role of ideas in um, and you know different senses of national identity and a a trust in the capacity for tolerance and and uh, virtuous political conduct to resolve deep deep um, conflicts between identity and interests. So that's story number two. Story number three is that this uh, conflict is a conflict between democracy and autocracy, that this is uh, Vladimir Putin's war of aggression, that this is a rerun of 1938 all over again, and that uh, America... Leading the United Nation, United Democratic Nations of the world, is standing up for uh, brave democratic Ukraine against the evil autocracies of the world, like Russia and China. That Vladimir Zelensky is a freedom fighter, as I believe Sean Penn described him in at the um, Golden Globe Awards. Uh, and this version of the story is soaked into so much of the American rhetoric about um, uh, this conflict in Ukraine being a life and death struggle for the liberal rules based orders. It being part of a great. A conflict between democracies and autocracies in a way it's another case of World War Two happening all over again and this kind of idea this kind of story is very much um, I guess put out is, is, is supports and drives and justifies uh, the advocacy by so many American leaders of regime change in Russia. It's the kind of idea put in the infamous RAND report from 2017, maybe 2019, that talked about uh, weakening Russia through a conflict in Ukraine that would um, uh, uh, undermine Um, Putin break up Russia enable the free development of market economies and liberal democracy in the post-Russian states just as you know it was partly achieved in the post-Soviet states and hence turn Russia from a partner and ally with that other autocracy and competitor to the American empire China into a balkanized uh, you know new place for American companies to develop and extract resources from and you know a typical proponent of this kind of view is the former American ambassador to, uh, you, you, to Russia um, Michael McFall. Uh, but it was, it's also very much the view expressed by Sean Penn in that uh, speech at the Golden Globe Awards where he uh, introduced and in praised Volodymyr Zelensky. And uh, there are some truths in this view. Uh, clearly, you probably gather from my tone that I've got some scepticism about this view. But there are some truths in this view in that there are, There is a war of ideas, I guess, between the different uh, great powers of the world at the moment around ideas of democracy and ideas of autocracy. Towards the end of 2021, Russia and China jointly released a paper on new concepts of democracy challenging the western view that they were not democracies that only western liberal democracies are uh, true democracies and this is a constant theme I guess in Chinese rhetoric so this um, this this version of the story is um, uh, a powerful one I guess uh, and and it draws people into the emotions very much of the war because i guess everyone wants to be on the side of democracy and not on the side of autocracy but i guess you'd have to question in reality whether you know uh, Uh, it's this is a world of good and evil Uh, whether this is really another American Marvel TV series whether this is really uh, a conflict with the same moral clarity of World War two all over again Uh, and I guess the other big shadow around this version of the story is it simply fails to account for some of the um, weaknesses, uh, let's say, of Ukraine as a democracy. Some of those uh, those very facts that are brought out by Nikolai Petro about its failures to actually civilly resolve conflict within its own political order and it's its polarization of the conflict and engagement of external powers um, to fight a war against uh, internal enemies so the fourth uh, you know uh, story his little history version of this Ukraine conflict that this is an episode in Cold War 2 now this uh, I guess this idea of Cold War 2 has been put about especially by the American British historian uh, or perhaps I should describe him as American Scottish historian Uh, Neil Ferguson uh, who who's also quite close to Henry Kissinger has put written a biography of Henry Kissinger and he was certainly arguing that uh, in the lead up to the Russia-Ukraine war that the world is entering a phase of Cold War II Uh, but Perhaps more focused on the conflict with between America and China for global leadership or at least the, the terms the of the rules base of the world order uh, and less focused on uh, Russia uh, but uh, certainly seeing Russia and China as ideological allies on one side of this new struggle. Uh, and I guess uh, one of the um, you know features of the conflict that this certainly brings out well is the you know, I guess the ideological competition, the culture war, the information war, the multi-dimensional nature of this war, the sense in which it's about not just uh, what are the boundaries of Ukraine but how do we live together in our political states in the West and in Russia and in China Uh, and uh, I I guess that's, that's the key truth around that idea the weakness of that idea I guess is it's a little bit hard to really use the term Cold War II When every day we're hearing announcements about NATO and America sending tanks and missiles and mercenary soldiers, contract soldiers, uh, volunteer soldiers uh, to fight and in some cases to be destroyed and die uh, on the plains of Ukraine. so uh, yeah, so I guess the story that this is Cold War two, I think uh, falls down a little bit by the fact that there is now an actual hot fighting war going on in truth between Russia and NATO. One in which indeed uh, the uh, a, 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 an American... Naval officer, recently serving naval officer, senior serving naval officer recently said how America uh, America had prepared the battleground in Ukraine since at least twenty fourteen, and it is now seeking to prepare the battleground uh, for its conflict with uh, Taiwan, uh, with China in Taiwan and the Western Pacific. So I think it's a little bit hard to use the idea of Cold War 2 although in my next video I'm also going to discuss an idea that I put in a previous podcast that in a way we're entering uh, the last phase of a long Cold War between Russia and the Anglo-American powers that the fact that there was never really a proper Settlement, a proper equal treaty between uh, the Soviet Union and America or the West uh, uh, at the end of the Cold War uh, has meant that this Cold War has kind of drifted on and has now uh, descended into a hot war. Now, those four. Versions of the story, I guess, are largely uh, versions of the history of this war that you hear in uh, kind of Western sources, whether they're heavily pro, pro-NATO pro sources, pro-Ukraine sources, or whether they are uh, lovers of peace and dialogue like Nikolai Petro, who are simply looking for... A democratic, uh, you know, an internal resolution of the conflicts in Ukraine first, rather than them spilling out into geopolitical conflict. The next version of the story is a little bit more, maybe one of the versions of the story you might hear in Russian sources or pro-Russian sources, and there are such versions of the story, and it's important that people sort of hear them out, and some of the. Uh, the, the the sort of ideas for different framings of this historical narrative of the Russian-Nato-Ukraine war that I'm going to discuss in the next episode uh, try to take on board some of those Russian ideas but let's just hear this one out because this is one that uh, does get a bit of traction uh, particularly the alternative media universe and that is that this history uh, th- th- that this war can be characterized as an anti Russia war uh, based in uh, Ukraine that it is a proxy war against Russia uh, that is not really at all about um, promoting a genuine sense of Ukrainian nationhood or democracy but it is about uh, defeating Russia by creating a a tinderbox and a failed state uh, and a conflict um, on its borders Uh, and in a way there are aspects of Vladimir Putin's own descriptions of this uh, conflict that reflect this view that there was uh, a coup in Ukraine in 2014, uh, that uh, Ukraine was being, you know, uh, plugged with weapons and uh, bio weapons, uh, that there was. Uh, active measures against uh, russians within ukraine um, you know prejudiced actions against russian language and all that sort of thing in ukraine and that um uh, the west if you like wanted to create and what i think putin has even used this term an anti-russia uh on the doorstep of Russia to create this sort of enemy that Russia would have to deal with one way or the other in the hope that either it would be defeated or that it would uh, uh, lead to um, social discontent within Russia that would provoke regime change. So Putin puts that kind of view uh, the um, military, I guess, affairs commentator Andrei Martinov who has a, a YouTube channel uh, puts this kind of view you hear this sort of view on places like the Seca uh, and um, a Moon of Alabama and similar sorts of views and, and some of these people perhaps unkindly, refer to Ukraine as state 404 uh, which refers to when you uh, go to a website and you get error 404 that it simply doesn't work so there are some truths um here that um that's certainly true that some american elites really do want to break up russia really do want to harm Russia Uh, and the sentiments uh, in Ukraine the national sentiments the the tensions that emerge in that sort of big brother little brother um, relationship have been exploited over decades really Uh, even going all the way back to giving refuge in America to Stefan Bandera Those um, sentiments have been exploited for um, the interest of American Geo's strategic uh, power. The shadows of this version of the story I guess are that Ukraine is an actor in this too it's it's uh, you know one might refer to Ukraine as a puppet state or a vassal state um, but Ukraine is certainly an actor in this process too and uh, this version of the story of of um, uh, perhaps over, over plays the extent to which the you know grand chessboard strategies of Brzezinski and Jake Sullivan etc their attempts to use Ukraine to destroy Russia's command of the heartland of the world island the whole, you know, Halford-McKinder geostrategy idea Uh, it it overplays the uh, role of those strategists in really controlling events to the extent that they do and underplays the extent to which, well, Ukraine ...has made a whole lot of decisions itself that have got itself into this mess. And um, some of those dynamics which I think are very well described by Nikolai Petro in his book... ...or in the discussions he's had on uh, YouTube and other places uh, are really essential to this war... Okay, the sixth and final version of this story is that this war is all about uh, the Russian Empire striking back. Uh, So this version of the story, to some degree, you can hear this version of the story in uh, Sohi Aploki's um, various descriptions of the lost kingdom, etc. The... Continuing presence of an idea of Russian imperialism and Russian nationalism as driving the policies of the Russian Federation. And that this war is all all about uh, Vladimir Putin and the circle of uh, sort of security state officials. the people known in Russia as are uh, who are um, officials of the army, the police, the security services um, and the various sort of justice kind of ministries and the politicians who've emerged from those circles such as, for example, Vladimir Putin at least in this argument and this argument is really saying that uh, Putin uh, has a nostalgia for the greatness of the Soviet Union, the greatness of the Russian Empire, and he wants to reestablish it the 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 humiliation of the 1990s and russia's decline in geopolitical influence after the end of the cold war is perceived by this group of people as not just uh, a dimin- diminution of their national status but also a diminution of their power and authority and um, you know cultural sta- and social status of this sibyki class and that the uh, war is then really about conquering ukraine it's about that russian empire uh uh, uh um Re-establishing itself through uh, con- control of territories that it should never have really lost back in nineteen ninety one, and this, I guess, is underpins a lot of the Western rhetoric and discussion around this story. Uh, I mean, it's partly the view put in uh, Sir He Ploki's books. So in the epilogue to uh, the Lost Kingdom, he uh, writes that will the Russian government and the Russian political and cultural elites accept the loss of Ukraine by loss of Ukraine? He means the increasing cultural identification of Ukrainians with Ukraine rather than uh, a sort of a Russian world sort of sense of their own identity. This is the essence of the Russian question in its present form Uh, as recent events have shown the unresolved Russian question threatens peace and stability in Europe and the world in general. The threat is no less serious than the one posed in the 19th and early 20th centuries by the German question. The idea of uniting all the German lands to forge a mighty German empire. Uh, and another, uh, in a way, surprising and, and uh, uh, highly capable proponent of this view is the historian Dominique Levin, who um has not commented a lot in public about uh the ukraine situation uh but did uh make a few comments on a uh, Uh, A YouTube uh, video that he did uh, with uh, Trinity College in Japan that looked at uh, his perspective as a historian of empire and of the Russian Empire and of Russian elites particularly in the Imperial period of the 19th century. He's also the historian of the 1812 war and of Russia's involvement in World War One. He's a brilliant brilliant historian. Uh, but he refers to putin and his circle as very much having this characteristic of being uh, soloviki who whose sense of status and power in the world was threatened by the decline in in uh, russian power and are seeking to reassert themselves both within their society and uh, nationally, uh, internationally, I guess, by invading Ukraine. So the Russian Empire strikes back. Now the truths of this story, I guess, are that Russia has certainly gone through a process of state strengthening over the last 30 years. Uh, Well, really since, more particularly since 1999. I mean, in the 1990s, there was this utter collapse of uh, Soviet political, of of Russian political and social institutions. It was a true social catastrophe, uh, which I've sort of discussed in some other uh, podcasts. Uh, uh, And after Vladimir Putin came to power, uh there was a genuine sense of rebuilding of state strengthening of you know pushing some of the oligarchs out and uh rebuilding the army and rebuilding you know foreign policy and a whole series of things like that uh and um there is a level of contempt i think in the russian elite for the failure of Ukraine to do anything similar. The, the view that Ukraine is a deeply, deeply corrupt country. That it is simply a failed state. And that its own elites, the, the Ukrainian elites, played a critical role in sabotaging the Soviet Union. And provoking the crisis in the 1990s. And that ever since, that the elites have been more focused on um, enriching themselves. I, I'm just, this is the version of the story, enriching themselves through Western connections rather than rebuilding their society, rebuilding their state. And to some degree, it's uh, the view put about Ukrainian statehood in one of the major speeches, Vladimir Putin made in the early period of the conflict. So there are some, I guess, truths to that. Uh, I guess the shadows of this story is, well, I guess really, to me, uh, there's an awful lot of projection here and there's an awful lot of making up uh, of uh, evil intentions when, um, I mean... Russia strengthening its state, rebuilding its economy, rebuilding its sense of national identity after the catastrophe of the 1990s is what you would expect anyone who would have gone through what the 1990s was for Russia would want to do. Any decent political leader would want to do. Uh, And to me, there's not really any evidence that uh, Russia is an expansionist or expeditionary imperial power. I think this view tends to see any um, non-conformity with the Western liberal rules-based order as aberrant, as... um, as, as, um, as wrong, if you like. One should either play the gentlemanly game of the Anglo-Americans and uh, play along with their geos political strategies or uh, get the hell out, um, I think is the underpinning assumptions of this view. So uh, again, I don't think it really accounts for The realities of Russia today, it doesn't really um, uh, look properly at the um, perspectives today of uh, Russia uh, and its real interests, its real statehood, its real individuals, its real leaders. It just trades in these caricatures that, you know. Putin's a new Tsar, Putin's a new Stalin, Putin's a new Hitler and all that sort of thing and then just applies that to the situation. So there you go that's the Empire Strikes Back story. Now I'm not going to say whether any of those six stories uh, are right or wrong. I guess I uh, You probably get my sense of where I feel some are stronger and and weaker. Uh, From this, I I will add a poll to the YouTube channel after this video comes out to get your views on which of these six uh, accounts of the Ukraine war most fit your sense of events. So let me know there and do leave us a comment below. And I'm going to be back in a couple of days with my next episode that's going to look at six more versions of these, uh, these events. Historical narratives that can frame our response to the Russia-NATO-Ukraine war, including three that I've sort of come up uh, with myself that I'm going to throw out there. And get your feedback on as uh, intelligent citizens of the internet world so I hope you've liked this again my name's Jeff Rich this is the Burning Archive channel I talk about geopolitics history and culture I've got some great playlists on uh, and back episodes of the podcast, if you are listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts uh, or any other podcast plan or uh, channel on uh, Russian history, my uh, in reading of the events of the Russia-Ukraine war. So do check those out. And I've also uh, producing some, uh, I guess, little introductory guides to some really good that you can read to understand the emerging uh, multipolar world uh, not just by reading news or watching the latest things on the internet but by reading some good history books that give you the sense of the bigger broader sweep of events and how what is happening to us today can be understood within that bigger picture so do please subscribe to the channel uh, like uh, and share leave us a great review and leave us a comment if you're watching on youtube you can also leave a audio message if you like by anchor and spotify and i'd love to hear from listeners okay bye now